Hey there, my name is Ushin Lunny and this is Audio Talks, a bi-weekly podcast on all things audio presented to you by Harman. Every episode you'll meet some of the most interesting, insightful and innovative people from the world of great audio. This week's episode is dedicated to great sound in fast cars and I'm honoured to be joined by a man who truly lives in the fast lane, Carl Cox. Coxie, as he is affectionately known, is one of the best-loved DJs on the planet. A musical ambassador, a veteran of Acid House, a champion of techno, a dance music pioneer, label owner, king of Ibiza, you name it, Carl's been there and done it, never losing sight of his passions, playing music, breaking tunes and celebrating life. He's also a producer, a racing driver, a racing team owner and so much more. Welcome to the podcast, Carl Cox. Thank you. Wow, that that's a, it's brought a tear to my eye actually <laughs> with, with that <laughs> intro. Wow, that's a, that's fantastic. Thank you very much for that. I really do appreciate oh. it. There's a lot of work and love that's gone into all of, all of what you said. So uh, and and yeah. here we are in in this pandemic times. <laughs> yeah, indeed, yeah, interesting times for sure. Well, uh, thank you, man. It's uh, it's from the heart. So your latest release is awesome. It's a brilliant mix of tracks from a label called Awesome Soundwave. What is the awesome Soundwave concept, and how did your mix for the label come about? Well, the thing is, I, I've, I've run record labels for nearly thirty years myself, and being an artist on major labels like uh, Perfecto Records, Paul Oakenfold back in the day, yeah. which was run by a major label called BMG, and then I was running my own uh, label with a German company called Edel Records or Edel Records, as the Germans would say, yeah. And, <laughs> uh, and, and, I, and I basically run, run a subsidiary late record label with them called uh, Worldwide Ultimatum Records. Um, and in between that, I had my own independent record labels called MMR Records and, and uh, Intet Records of late, yes. uh, which we started in 1999 to present day. And we also did a thing called Ultimate Breaks within it. Um, so to be honest, I didn't really want to run another record label. Actually, I, I've done it, been there, you know, I've put out so many tunes, I've signed so many artists over the years and had great successes. Um, and, and also we've had a lot of insight to what the future music could look like. Yeah. So it all came about with me, um, with uh, a fellow uh, artist called Christopher Coe. He used to be Digital Primate oh, yeah. and he was running that as a quite underground uh, techno electronica artist. But I've known him for many years as this this artist, and we basically met up uh, in Amsterdam and we were talking about what he would like to do next, and he was telling me about his concept of his live show, which is all basically digital machines put together, and, and, and his creative nature of making music live, and he also had a visual package from his homeland in Ireland, um, which was basically his music and his visual package of his hometown, which was very dear to his heart. So when I heard his music and what his concept was, there was no home for that sound. Um, I was very taken back by what he had created, uh, but also what I knew I couldn't sign because there was no platform for it. Yeah. So between myself and Christopher Coe, I, then I also decided that he should change his name for Digital Primate and go out as Christopher Coe because that's who he is. Yeah. So to so stand by what you've created because if you're going to go out live, people want to know who you are. If your music's going to touch people, they, they need to know that Christopher Coe is the person that's doing that. And it kind of excited me to know that in the end of the day, music has no boundaries. And, and with that, there should be there should be no boundaries when it gets released on an inimitable record label. But there wasn't one that was that was uh, uh, created at that time. Apart from when I decided, you know what, 
this create a record label for your platform and then other artists also feel that they don't have a home for their inimitable sound or their live electronic uh, 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 kind of music that they make in their bedrooms or in their studios. Uh, and the thing is about electronic music when it comes from a live perspective, it can be endless. So it's not just about releasing a free track EP or dance floor bangers or anything. It's an expression of whatever you desire to make. And I felt that there was no label that could truly represent the artist in that way. So I was kind of, you know, thinking about what to call the record label. Um, and, and the, uh, and everything that we were talking about was awesome. And, and everything that we, <laughs> everything that we look to is sound and, and, and everything that we try to develop through the modules that we have is a wave. So, uh, awesome sound wave was created between myself and Christopher Coe. Your mix is a selection of, is it like a favorite artist from the label, should I say? Yeah. So basically what you're listening to or what you will be listening to, if you choose to listen to it, is <laughs> all of the artists that we signed in the last two years on awesome sound wave uh, label. And Brilliant. the thing is about what I had done that that mix that you hear is a live mix that I had recorded from when we did our first, uh, live streaming show, which was eight hours of all of our artists performing. And wow. because at the time I wasn't actually producing my music from a live perspective, what, what I would like to, to do is to showcase all the, the tracks that have come out and what we've licensed and what we've basically supported these guys of their music that nobody would, would have heard before because yeah. it comes from a very, uh, 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 very uh, underground, but also very small stable of of releases of the music from from the label because it's a very young label and and it's not major it's really independent I'm I'm like a privateer uh, of uh, of of getting behind such artists that that basically are almost plucked from obscurity but also some artists that have been around a long time that that also have made an embodiment of music that that they haven't been able to find a home for yeah. so some like Matt Playford for instance uh, Julian Chappell. Uh, so Chelsea Tommy's been around a long time, but when he did his live show and you can see the machines that he was using, and also he's very creative, uh, a revered pianist, all this sort of stuff. It blew me away when I actually got to see these guys performing their music live. It was no script. It was like, okay, we're going. And then they were just making music on the fly. Wow. So when I got to actually record their, their music and their tracks, then I was able to then represent them at the end of the show based on what uh, people have not heard before. So every record that you see that I that I basically put together is tracks from these artists that you have not heard before is the reason why we had done this, uh, recorded it, and then basically put it back out into the public uh, arena for people to understand that this label is coming. Yeah, uh, the artists are coming. It's a whole new way of now people, you know, finding these artists in a one stop shop in some ways, and uh, and and I've just been really excited by the whole concept of the whole thing. Fantastic. And we will absolutely be linking to that uh, brilliant mix you put together in the show notes so people can check it out. And um, you, the, the label had a virtual stage at the Mysteryland Festival. How did people react to, to that live stream? Well, the, the, what was really fantastic was that we were able to do it. You know, as, yeah. as you know, uh, there was no festivals and no events and there's nothing of, of its kind happening <laughs> until with the nearest distant future. We don't know if, even if it's going to come back. Well, I would like to think so. Yeah. Um, what what was really nice was that the fact that we were able to to still have our show that we were going to do live virtually and mystery land was still going to pre present their festival at the time they were going to do it 
uh, and, to, and to still have uh, uh, us represent, uh, also Soundwave artists represent what we were going to do live. Yeah. Uh, but also I, t- I kind of tweaked it a little bit by my own self actually now going live as well as a live art- artist. So mm. it was the first time that anyone saw me actually running the machines and the sound and what, what you heard creatively, it, it, it doesn't exist. It, everything that you heard was happening at that particular point. So I kind of joined the merry band of, of live electronic <laughs> artists at the same time. Even though I'm a DJ, um, I, I was able to do this as well. And yeah. it's not my first rodeo. I've actually uh, been performing, you know, over the years, uh, kind of like a few live shows, which I really have. To, uh, at the beginning, when I was signed Perfecto, Perfecto Records, I actually went out as a Colcox concept for one year. So I was DJing and I had the live, well, uh, concept of which I was had an MC called MC Majika, and uh, at the time, and a, a great producer called Neil McLennan, who went on to produce the Podigy uh, in 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 their years. Wow. So you know, I had a really good beginning of of what it felt like to be a live artist. But the DJing aspect of what I do was so strong that I couldn't run the both elements. Sure. Now that I think people know who I am as a DJ, or <laughs> I think I can now move on a little bit to to be to become you know, an inimitable live electronic artist, you know, to be able to express the music that I make. And, and through the yeah. platform of Awesome Soundwave, um, I think this was a, was a great opportunity for people to be excited by, by the unknown. Yeah. That's the thing about it. We don't, we don't know what's going on here uh, with what, what, what people are subjected to in, in, a, in a sense of if you're going to come to a stage by what we're cre- creating, yeah. and then here we are with all of these artists. So what was really good with Mysteryland is that you, you got to see the, the artists that we felt that could represent, which was amazing. And then my own self um, on board uh, at the last part of that show with my, with my with my own music to basically put a stamp on exactly what this label is all about. Fantastic. So it's like your passion for music just comes through with every word you're saying there. And, <laughs> you know, your passion for particularly techno and DJing is known all over the world. But we're going to talk a lot about your another one of your passions, which is cars. Have they always been... A passion for you for as long as music has. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, I mean, the the thing is, I, I think I was more in, in, interested in uh, cars and and anything that that had a combustion engine in, you know, <laughs> in, including steam trains and and all this kind of stuff. Anything that propelled itself, I was into. And um, so they've, they've always had a parallel, you know, music and and my my hobby for cars. Yeah. Because um, you know, when when you're into cars, you are you're a hobbyist to begin with. You have nothing professional about it. If you if you could afford to to buy a new set of wheels and tires or to paint your car yellow instead of green or whatever, you are <laughs> customizing your car because you, you yeah. want to stand out from the rest based on what what you bought or what represents you. And I've always been into it. I've never had anything normal. Whatever I put my 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 hand to, you know, whether it be cars or motorbikes, it's always had to have my own stamp and my own signature to it. And I've always enjoyed that. So when I had my first uh, car, which was a um, a Morris Minor, is like nineteen. 19- 68 or something so really yeah. old thing. i paid 20 pounds for it wow. this is going well back but you know i was 16 years old uh, and and it was a rust bucket you know the only good thing about this car was that the engine worked then the rest of it was like just falling <laughs> apart 
But you know what? I've got some grey primer. You know, I made it all one, one colour. You know, I've, I've got some uh, uh, some eyes upon and all sorts of stuff. You know, and just yeah, trying yeah. to make good of all the rusty bits and stuff. And that car looked fantastic. You know, I mean, it was very slow. It, it didn't have any synchro mesh for the first gear, and all that sort. Of, but it was my car. I could turn the key and I could drive it. Yeah. Um, and then and, and then, but you know, I I, was, I became a Ford man after of driving that car because yeah. it was a, it, it, it was i think you've got to be a very massive enthusiast to have a morris minor i think <laughs> in that way you know they're yes. very cute cars but they don't, they've got no performance or whatsoever <laughs> no. so uh so you know in, in my realm fords was always the, the go-to car for me in the end but yeah. cars have, have always been a, a massive part of my life especially in the end of the day when I was going up and down the country doing all the rave events, uh, you know, uh, in, the, in the late 80s into the 90s, yeah, yeah. you know, I was going up and down and let some breath of the country. Yeah. And you needed a decent car to do that. Yeah. Um, all my cars in, the, in my early days fell apart half the time. So eventually, uh, once I started to make a little bit of money, I, d- I did buy German engineering uh, in, the, in the shape of a Mercedes 560 oh. SEC, of which the car I still have today, uh, which I bought in 1996, and it's and it's in my garage here in Melbourne, Australia, and it's still exactly nice. the same car that I bought. It's I think it, out of all the cars that I've ever bought, and I do own a, a few of them, that this has probably been the only one that's that when I bought it, that it's actually been worth it because I still have it uh, at the end of the day with its residual value going up instead of down. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, I mean for, for sure you've come a long way since the uh, twenty quid Morris Minor there for sure. <laughs> You, you have a motorbike restoration business, TT Motorcycles. You've got a racing team, Carl Cox Motorsport, uh, that's been winning a lot of races over the past few years. So what's happening to those businesses during the pandemic, would you say? Uh, well, the thing is that the guys are still racing. And uh, obviously, you know, we, we have uh, two New Zealand riders at the moment racing on the uh, 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 British Superbike circuit. Um, and they basically came over from New Zealand to race. And then as soon as they came over, um, then, then the whole pandemic and, and, and uh, lockdown started. So they couldn't race straight away to begin with. I was already yeah. set for uh, all the, all the sidecar te- my sidecar teams and, and my yeah. uh, TT, uh, uh, TT racers like Michael Dunlop and Connor Cummins and, and sidecar teams. that I had, had everything in place, Dave Molyneux and, and Mark Wills racing the sidecars and, and Greg Lambert uh, with, with a new passenger. It was all going off. And then as soon as this happened, it all fell off a cliff. And I was like, oh, oh my God. You know, this is what's happening. But at the moment now, they found a way. If these guys, you know, bubble where they are and, and they do the right thing by the 40-day isolation, this sort of stuff, like all the other teams have to do. Yeah, and yeah. basically, you know, uh, have a more of a skeleton crew for your crew to, you know, to run the, 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 the vehicles. Then you can basically race on, on closed circuits. Cool. So that's what they've been doing at the moment. So my name of Calcott Motorsport is still out there on the weekends. And also here in Australia, the car that you see here, um, which is a uh, – Mustang, um, uh, full Mustang, which is a, it's in a, in a livery of V8 supercars that we have here uh, in Melbourne, Australia, of wow. which they've been able to still race, obviously, on closed circuits. So they've been going out there, and Cam Waters that drives that car, that's a road-going car, by the way, um, uh, he's been getting on the podium doing really well. So the name of Colcott Motorsport is still out there. The only person that's not out there doing anything with Colcott Motorsport it's me. It's, I'm the, all I can do, all I can do, is watch all of this from 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 afar, watching everyone else have a really good time, and 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 also there's another guy actually out, actually out there at the moment called Tom Bramich, um, and he's from yeah. Australia, a very young guy who's racing in the World Superbike series, uh, series um, which is obviously um, happening at the moment still as well, and and he's out there 
Uh, he, he's been struggling, had a few crashes and that kind of stuff, and a few DNS, but he managed to get it onto P3 at a couple of races. So, you know, fair play to him. So he's, he's still out there at the moment. So it has hindered us in some ways. It seriously has hindered me because when I got back to Australia to be able to go drag racing in my new Pro Mod car, yeah. we, I was going to basically do four rounds in that car and a professional series called Thunder 400 Series in Australia, um, yeah. and they cancelled every event. So I haven't been able to do testing. I haven't been able to go past... Uh, uh, the, the border controls because you know you have to have a, a valid reason to go across the, to New South Wales, yeah. and drag racing isn't one of them. So, uh. so I'd be very, very frustrated, you know, to be able to get myself out there with my own efforts of, of racing. And also uh, in in New Zealand, I also race uh, 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 historic muscle cars, which are, I have a uh, Shelby Mustang GT three fifty, uh, which Ooh. I also race and and actually do hill climbs as well. The place called Electford Festival that we have. In wow. New Zealand, so that's, that's that's kind of what I do, uh, and also I do do a lot of um, track days if I can when I'm in the UK. And one of the places I do that is either Brands Hatch or Goodwood. Yes. But of course, I'm not anywhere near the UK, so I haven't been able to do any of that either. So what did I do? I went and bought myself a sim, a racing sim, to do i racing. Really? So I'm able to now sit there, big three massive screens. Um, and, and what started me on, on this whole thing, the V8 supercars that you see here, they wasn't able yep. to, to do any races at the time. And so all, so what they could do is do iRacing with their cars um, at, this, at certain circuits um, and still yep. keep people interested in all the top races driving their simulators. And then, and then they, did, they decided one week to have celebrity uh, iSim racing for, in their supercars. Yeah. So I'm like, because uh, this car here is uh, run by a company called Tickford, they asked me, would I like to do it? And I said, I've never been in a sim before, but I'll, I'll give it a go. And uh, I went out there and had a, had a ball. Uh, what was really funny, and I'll tell you a funny story, as I was going around and I was doing quite well out of 24 cars, I was 15th place, and, but I was getting overtaken by the race leader. And as I came down, uh, down, uh, down the start finish straight to go into turn two, I, yeah. I kind of lost the back end and everything. So, so the race leader was trying to get past me. And because I lost control, I took him out. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a complete <laughs> no-no in racing. And I'm like, hey. and, and everyone was like, oh, Coxie. It, it, it was my only claim to fame. Not because of my racing prowess. Uh, and because I took the race leader out. Which is like, I, I got on the radio and went, sorry. <laughs> uh, it's e-racing. It's, it's cool. But um, the actual chairperson of the London Motor Show, Alex Mumford, described you as a first-class driver and a rider. And you clocked up an incredible 235 miles an hour earlier this year at the Sydney Dragway. And uh, you're actually an ambassador for the London Motor Show next year, which is just awesome. Do you have anything special planned for the Motor Show? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, uh, before I've, I've got to talk to your good self, I was just talking to Alex Mumford and, and the crew that, that we're looking to basically redesign the whole London Motor Show based on our efforts. And now I don't want to give too much away uh, because it's going to be a wow factor uh, uh, when we get to pull this off. And uh, I mean, before we go into that, my racing efforts, people need to understand, when you're in a car which goes from zero to 234 miles an hour, it's okay going that fast in a quarter of a mile, but you've also yeah. got to stop in a quarter of a mile. So when you basically hit the they think called a trans brake and you're leaving yeah. off around about 4,000 revs and you let that trans brake go and the car just absolutely takes off, the 60-foot time of that car, the time that it gets there is 0.9 of a second. So the G-force of that is around, around about 4,000 Gs. 
Wow. And you're gone. And then the car basically is twin turbo. It's around about 5,000 horsepower. It's an absolute beast of a car. But yeah. it, but basically, I managed to get that time, which was still, while still climbing up on the speed of it, at 6.1 seconds at a quarter mile, at 234 miles an hour, and then you've got to pull it up. So you've got two massive parachutes. So you pull, deploy straight away as soon as you go past the lights. Yeah. And they when they deploy, it also pulls you back at, at around about 3.5 Gs as well. Uh, and, then you, and then at the end of it, you go, ah, I'm alive. Yes, <laughs> let's do it again. So it, it, it's, 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 it's a professional series of racing, pro mod racing, yeah. which they do in the States uh, under the, an embodiment of a company called the NHRA in, in America and IHRA here in Australia. Um, yeah. And, and it's, all, it's the fastest cars and the fastest drivers. So it's, it's nothing to be sniffed at based on what I'm doing with this car of, of what I'm racing here in Australia. Oh, yeah. and I'm looking to bring that car to the London Motor Show as well so they can see the efforts of, of what I'm doing and what I would like to do also racing in the UK with that car as well. Now, the London Motor Show um, would be, is um, just a part of the sector of the overall uh, ideal of the show itself. And we have yeah. new areas uh, that we would like to introduce with the future of the motor industry, the urban side of the motor industry, uh, and also the exclusive side of the motor industry, which is obviously Bugatti, uh, Lamborghinis, Ferraris, and the list goes on with supercars and that whole ethos, what goes on around that. So, But it's there for everybody at the end of the day. And I'm just a guy that loves cars that, that forevermore I, I, I would talk about, you know, the latest release on certain record labels as much as yeah. the next supercar or my Mark 1 for Cortina or the little mini that I have, which I, I love to, you know, to take my car from London to Brighton, do mini rallies and stuff like that. Nice. You know, I, I'm, I'm a genuine petrol head uh, and, and I have been for many, many years. Oh, superb, superb. My, my, my uh, f- folks who are listening to the podcast won't be able to see that my jaw just hit the floor there when you were talking <laughs> about the speed and the, the acceleration there. So, wow, look out for the Motor Show next year. Um, that's that's going to be exciting. Um, now, so you actually own over 100 cars and bikes. So I, I won't ask you to pick one favourite, but would you take a guess at like, what are your favourite three cars or bikes? So, so basically, to put it into perspective, uh, I have cars in New Zealand because yeah. that's where my, my motorsport team are from, and so I've got cars over there uh, yeah. uh, in Melbourne and in the UK. So that they're kind of spread out. So the cars collection is roughly about twenty-five cars, maybe a bit more. Yeah, I, I can't remember now. <laughs> um, <laughs> but with the, with the motorbikes, it's roughly between 80, 80 to ninety motorbikes so classic motorcycles wow. modern day uh, motorcycles and race bikes as well yeah for racing in, in the island man tt the classic motorcycle racing also the tt and here in phillip island which we which you have classic motorcycle racing here and in sydney as well yeah. for the barry sheen motorcycle classic and also racing in new zealand as well called the 70 circuit racing or the tri-series in new zealand so yeah the, as a collective i have quite a lot of, of these machines which i've been over in many years uh, been collecting and, and also having to uh, have people to, to be able to ride those bikes uh, for me. Yeah. Now, as a collector, I mean, most of my, my bikes and my cars are just based on one-offs, collectability, uh, desirability uh, based on that. When I was a kid, I wasn't able to have an, a 1968 uh, Dodge Charger 
um, which was basically the car that you used to see for the Dukes of Hazard. Oh, yeah. The style of car. Yeah. But mine's a 1968. The Dukes of Hazard car is a 1969. There's a difference between the two cars, not in their size or what they had to look like, but uh, aesthetically, they are different. Uh-huh. But that car, I loved forevermore. I always see that when it used to jump and, you know, go sideways and you get chased by the police, that 68 child, <laughs> my, you know, that miracle muscle car. So that's that's one car. Nice. So I've always been into Mustangs. I love them. As you can clearly see, the modern-day Mustangs I have. Um, but I'd really love the, the the bullet Mustang. When I saw Steve McQueen, you know, getting chased down by the 1968 Dodge Charger, um, this was just phenomenal. You know, Highland Green, that car, American Racing Wheels, uh, Shelby Racing Wheels, um, C.B. Queen, in, you know, uh, behind the wheel, getting chased through the streets of San Francisco. You know, when he was put it in reverse, you see the, the car traction in backwards and he put it back in first and it just left a nice big black line and smoke you know, going down the road. I'm like, that's the yeah. car, the bullet Mustang. <laughs> yes, you know, it's like, wow, you know, and, and, I, and I have a bullet Mustang, which is just absolutely phenomenal. And I and one one car that I really do enjoy. I mean, like I said, I have many of the of American muscle cars, but I, I really love my Mark One Ford Cortina Lotus, 1966. Nice. I have a genuine one, uh, matching numbers uh, on, on on all aspects of the car. Um, I, I bought it uh, maybe about 12 years ago. I my my cars in my early days was always a Ford Escort, Mark One, Mark Two um, was. Um, uh, 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 Ford Cortina, Mark One, Mark Two, Mark Three, um, yeah. and, and, a, and a Ford Angular. Had a few Fords, but the one that I really loved, which is the Hooligan car, was well. I, actually, I couldn't afford that that Lotus at the time, but I had a 1500 GT Crossflow Mark One. It was kind of like this was the the best I could get, as close as I could get to the Lotus, until I could get the Lotus. Yeah. So at the at the time, I couldn't get anywhere near close to it. So this was the car that 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 represented me. But as soon as I could find a Mark One Cortina Lotus, I found it in Rugby Classic Cars, and so I drove all the way to Rugby. Uh, at the time, I had a uh, Porsche Carrera two, and I drove that all the way up there, and then I jumped it in this you know Mark One Ford Cortina Lotus. And it had it didn't feel like it had any brakes, no power steering, no air conditioning, you know, no one to plug your iPhone into. It's like, <laughs> oh my god, the steering wheel is you know, it's, it's like wobbling. I'm like, yeah, am I missing something here? Or is it, this <laughs> this is not what what I thought it would be like, you know. But I, but I bought it and, and I fixed it. There's a few things that was wrong with it. I fixed it. Drives like a dream. That sounds awesome. Always sounds like a rally car when you hear this thing because it's got yeah. you know twin forty DCOE Webers on. It just sounds amazing. It's this, this twin over rear cam engine. It's it's beautiful. And every time I take it out, the heads turn. You know when I when I play. So that's that's a three of my cars. When it comes to motorcycles, there's there's uh, millions of them uh, that I love. You know that I would like to have. I have a group of a decent collection, but my Desmo Sedici um, RR, which was basically the, the motorcycle that Casey Stoner here in Australia uh, took to two world championships, looks good, is good, amazing. They only made 1,100 of them, uh, and wow. I was able to buy one. I think Tom Cruise has got one Nicholas Cage. This was a desirable motorcycle. Um, and now, the old school motorcycle uh, back in the day was called a Widowmaker, which was oh, a uh, Kawasaki Z900. Uh, with the ducktail at the back and everything, yeah. absolutely gorgeous. 1970. It, it, you know, you, you just feel good on that bike. Sounds good, is good, and it's just phenomenal to be able to have a bike that, that stood the test of time uh, in, in yeah. any way, shape, or form. It's green uh, in its color, and it's just beautiful to ride that bike around. I do love them all, but I've just bought. Um, it's called a Claudio. Uh, it's a F4 Envy Augusta. 
And this bike is probably the level of Modus GP spec bike, which wow. they made for the road. They only made 200 of them, which was an ode to Claudio Castellini, who used to race that, yeah. uh, the, the bikes many years ago. And, uh, and I was very fortunate enough to put my name down on one. After two years, it turned up in the pandemic times. And, and everyone's on lockdown. So it's in my kitchen. I'm just, <laughs> just looking at it every day, going, one day I'll get to ride you. Absolutely. But it's absolutely gorgeous bike. It's yeah. carbon fiber wheels. It's, you know, titanium and, and magnesium everywhere. The, the styling of, of this bike, it's the last of the of the F4 bikes that they're releasing. Uh, uh, and Claudio Castellini got, uh, got to design that bike. And it has his number 12 racing number on the bike as well. It's black and gold, pinstripe, and it's just delicious. So I absolutely love that bike. Wow, a thing of beauty. That's a, a mouth-watering list uh, you gave us there. Thank you. And, and you mentioned the 67 Bullet Mustang. Um, have you tried the 2020 version yet? Now, I I, um, I remember seeing the advert and seeing uh, Steve McQueen's daughter uh, driving yeah. that car through car park. And I was like, yep, I have to have one. But if you see these, but <laughs> you see these three Mustangs around, the one in the and the red one, I know everyone can't see it, but it's a 2020 Mustang. It's it's, a, it's the delivery on the car is owed to a, a driver called Alan Moffat, uh, who used to drive in the in the in the uh, Trans Am series of when he used to back in the day drive a 302 Mustang um, with the same livery on it, Coca Cola red, yeah. um, his number on the car, and all this. Ran first, he 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 drives this car around and and basically put it to the winner's circle uh, nearly every time. So Tickford Racing uh, had decided that they wanted to do a, a special uh, a livery for him. 200 of them made, and this car looks absolutely fantastic. It really is awesome. So I couldn't have the new Bullet Mustang and to have the Tickford. And also, because I have the old one, it was uh, yeah. it would have been a bit too ostentatious to have the old one and the new one as well. <laughs> we'll share that photo that's behind you with the, the three amazing uh, cars there in the show notes as well, and we'll, we'll kind of share it online. We've just heard about your passion for cars. We've heard about your passion for music, but where this overlaps in terms of car audio, as somebody who creates music, how have you found that car audio has evolved to reproduce it more faithfully in car? Well, the thing is, you know, every single car sounds different, you know, in, in their shape and their size. I mean, the bigger the car, the, the, big, the better the boom, you know, um, for yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, but also, you, 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 the thing is, when you've got a really good sound system in your car, the, the, the sound pressure level uh, that, that speakers create finds anything that's rattly. <laughs> so, so if you've got anything rattly in your car, it will find it, and it will be the most annoying thing that you've ever, you've ever endured. So, you know, for, for sure, the newer cars favor better, better than the older cars, of course. But I've always been a purveyor of having a good sound system in our car. Why wouldn't I? You know, when I'm in a recording studio, the first place I go is into my car to see what it sounds like. Yeah. Because most people who, who uh, listen to their uh, music on their phone or on the radio never really get a good sound. But when you're in your car, you know, you don't have it loud. Just You just want to define moments. And sometimes, you know, you go to a park or something, you want to see the sunset. First thing you do, you put music on. So you want you want a decent sound in in all ways. Now you can't you don't have to have the, the loudest and the, the deepest and the boomiest or, or or the most defined or precise. But you just want it right because it's your moment of, to to really listen to music. I find it really important, and I think a lot of the car manufacturers kind of give you an okay sound to begin with. But then you really know if you go and get a sound system, you put it in based on what you would like to have in your car. There's a massive difference. But in saying that. Over the years now, you know, these companies have, uh, do know that if you buy a car of a certain quality 
uh, of a certain a certain amount of money that the sound system is important in your car based on that, what you're buying to. Because what I don't want to do really is buy an amazing car and it goes straight down to car sounds and it, it spent all this money on putting another sound system in because yeah. you've got to cut up the parcel shelf. You have this amplifier and the boot and that boom box in the back, and then you can't put your, you know, you, you go traveling yeah. and you've got to put your suitcase in the back and you can't put it in because you've got a boot box in the back and all that sort of. I'm sorry, <laughs> yeah. I can't put you in the car because, you know, I've got a speaker system in there. <laughs> so you're going to have to go and get an Uber, uh, all this kind of stuff. <laughs> so, you know, I, I've got a, um, a Jeep uh, SRT, uh, Grand Cherokee, wow. and it's a beautiful car. It's amazing. And they have a Harman Carmen sound system in it. Sweet. Yes, <laughs> sounds absolutely fantastic, and I think there's a Harman Kardon uh, also either McLaren, and I think they're putting a Harman Kardon in the McLarens as well. Yeah. So they know how important to have the sound system in this car. If you're spending a bit of money, that it, you know to have the, the right amount of sound bar by what you want to experience, because there's nothing better than than hearing your favorite record on a great great rig in your car. Yeah, yeah, well said, absolutely. Um, and you spoke earlier about the, <clears throat> the actual sound of the engines. You mentioned that the Escort there having an incredibly, you know, distinctive sound and it turns heads when you come down the street. What is it about the sound of engines that appeals to you? And uh, do you have a favourite? I, I, I think, you know, the FUD of a V8 car. I mean, I, I do like a, v, a V12 sound as well. Very racy sound, very Formula One. You know, it revs up to like a million. Uh, but let's say like a V8 car of the, of the Mustang revs up to about six or 7,000, where a V12 will go up to nine or 10,000. So you get two massively yeah. distinctive sounds. And I really enjoy both of them, but I, I like that kind of like low-end power of a V8. And, you know, when you, when you hear that, you know, open headers or a slight exhaust on a V8. Yeah. I went to the Goodwood Revival last year and heard nothing but awesome V8s go past me. And it's that feel that, you know, as they go past you, it almost blows you away. And that's what I like. It's a, definitely a cathedral of all frequencies, um, which is not music related, but combustion related. It's a symphony for me when I feel and hear those cars go past. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And would you ever consider creating a sound, like a soundtrack for uh, an EV? Well, you know, I've been asked many times to to to, to do that because, you know, I, I do have a, an ear for everything, uh, including car sounds. Now, it can be very you know, very cheesy to be able to, you know, do car, different car sounds over a techno beat. Maybe that's probably one of the reasons why you haven't heard it before. But <laughs> Yellow, many years ago, did a, did a track called The Race. Yes. Amazing record. Production was fantastic. Boris Blank, uh, Dieter Meyer, are just geniuses. And, yeah. and, and there's one part in it that says, oh, da -da, well, well, here goes the race. And then halfway through, it goes, Neow! and it goes through the sound <laughs> system left and right. If, if you're in a car, it feels like it's quadraphonic. Yes. So when I went to his studio to create a record with him, uh, I had an opportunity to work with these guys. Amazing. I, I sat there in the studio and I, and I asked him, you know that car, that, that car sound that you had going through the speakers? He said, I said, oh, you know, how did you create that? You know, to go through the speakers and everything. And if anyone knows um, recording studios, each channel has a left and right pan on the channel. So if you go pan left, it goes on the left speaker. Pan right goes yeah. on the right speaker. He said, oh, I just did this. Left pan, right pan. I was like, what? That's it. Nothing else. <laughs> nope. Yeah. I'm like, wow. Because it sounds like a million dollars when you're in a club. 
you know, that yeah. environment. You just wait for that car to go past. And then when it when you feel like it goes past you, you're just like, wow. And that's probably one of the most credible ways of putting, you know, an engine sound to to music. Uh, but I, I, I probably will do it and to see, nice. you know, what I can pull pull off because obviously I, I've got a few cars and bikes and, and which I can get sound samples from. And to have yeah. all of those, you know, uh, uh, those kind of elements into my music, I think would make it mine <laughs> for sure. Superb. Yeah. Okay. Looking forward to that. I, I would <laughs> look, totally go for that. Um, so, you know, you, you spoke about this great overlap between good quality audio and driving and motoring. Has there been a like super memorable road trip that you've made? And uh, if so, what was the car and what was the music? Uh, I mean, back in the day, um, a friend of mine called Jim Mason, and he had a beautiful Mark One Cortina. Lotus, uh, sorry, no, it was a Mark One Cortina, but it's a very nice um, car that he had. And yeah. uh, at the time, you know, we we had an eight track, and eight track was a high end uh, of high fidelity in a car of that time. Now I know that yeah. a lot of the people now will be thinking, "What is he talking about?" Eight track. <laughs> well, here, here's a list of history lesson for you. Go and find out because they, those things were quite big. You know, but the quality of them was amazing. And all I remember uh, going in his car, and um, there was a track by Curtis Mayfield called "Move On Up," and it's such a great, you know, feel-good tune. If you played it today, it doesn't matter how young or old you are. You just yeah. put some smile on your and you end up singing this car. And when you're driving, move on up, keep on moving, yeah. and you're just driving this car, and it's just awesome. And I'll never forget it that that record driving with that car, you know, in the dead of night, you know, you know, yeah. just, just, uh, hanging out and enjoying the moment, um, out of all the music that I've ever had in a, in a, in a car and, and the moments of, of that, that move on up by Curtis Mayfield is probably my still very best experience that I've had. Ah, that's a beautiful moment. Getting chills in the back of my neck, uh, thinking of that. <laughs> uh, so, you know, music's important to you, you know, cars are important to you. Could you ever see yourself making a transition from music to more car and motorsport involvement? I, well, I, I think I've already made that that kind of inimitable move. I started yeah. the the Colcott's motorsport movement uh, in 2013. Now, I didn't know where it was going to take me. I just knew that that I wanted to be involved in it in one way. I, I like being on the sidelines, but I also like to get involved in one way um, to be able to come in at some sort of entry level. There's no way that I was going to have enough money to get involved in a MotoGP. Way expensive. No way I was going to get involved in Formula One uh, and everything that goes with it. Not even Formula Three, Formula Two, two Formula One, maybe karting. <laughs> uh, but apart from that, um, it, it wasn't my forte. Motorcycle racing, sidecar racing, gr- grassroots. I was able to get involved in. So when I first went down to the Isle of Man TT, I took a sidecar outfit from New Zealand down there, um, and then I just fell in love with it. Yeah. I was in. Once I saw those bikes going past and everything, I was like, I need to get involved a little bit more to to be able to justify me being there as well. I you know I didn't want to just be a spectator, you know, taking time out watching him go past. I want to be able to find guys or girls who wanted to race uh, at the Isle of Man TT and have that experience of it. Um, and to help them to do that. So that's how it all started. And then I did say that I never really wanted to 
get behind solo riders at the Isle of Man TT. But um, when I got to meet Michael Dunlop and the Dunlop dynasty um, of riders over the years, you know, they've had their tragedies, of course, but they're road racers. Yeah. Nothing can tell them to stop doing what they're doing is what they do. But Michael being one of the youngest ones, we really connected really well. We have a bond beyond it, me just being a sponsor or, and just being someone that just wanted to put a sticker on his bike. And I understand where he's coming from being a racer myself and the pits and wayfalls of what happens here. You need support. Um, and with Michael, he found that uh, my honesty to motorsports and, and the, my entry wasn't just like this top international GJ wants to have a few pictures with, with and make himself feel good about that. No, it's, it was all about my passion for it at the end of the day and what I could do to get involved in that. So that's how it really started. And as I kept doing it, as I kept getting invited to Formula One, but also the MotoGP, taking time out of my own schedule to be there to do this and to, you know, to try and get to as many um, BSBs and World Superbikes as possible, all this kind of thing, um, I found that my time was getting taken up more and more with being involved in motorsport activity as much as me being at the latest festival. I kind of thought, well, you know, I've been involved in music now over 40 years. I think it's now time to get involved in my passion a lot more. And and me being a hobbyist, um, it's kind of turning into something a bit more serious than that. So maybe my time now is to get more involved in the motorsport industry because, you know, my hunger for it and my, my thirst for it is, is very, very high level. Yeah. And, uh, and people can see and feel that, uh, that energy from me in the end of the day. So what would be your choice for a perfect soundtrack for driving? Say, so if you were to, to go for a drive tomorrow, what kind of thing would you be listening to? Um, I mean, anything that gets you going, really. You know, I'd, I'd really do enjoy drum and bass when I'm driving. And, nice. And, and kind of liquid drum and bass. So the liquid sound is more jazzy, more funky, a bit experimental, not so kind of like ragga or, or jump up or anything, because in the clubs you get all of that. It's music that makes you think about what you're listening to, but also what you feel. Yeah. You know, drum and bass is all about what you feel. Once you get those bass tones in the car, I've just got like my screw face on. It's like, oh, yeah, <laughs> I, I feel yes. this. I'm going, and then I'll rewind and I'll go back in again. I go, oh, you know, just turn yes. it up just a little bit more just before it, <laughs> it distorts. Uh, yes. Like how the production of drum and bass is insane. And so yeah. this is, the, this is the, the style of music I like this too when I'm in a car. It, because it just, drum and bass sound pushes the envelope on all frequencies um, uh, yeah. on any sound system anywhere. And in a car, it is absolutely brutal at its level. And I love that. Uh, I love it, man. I love it. Brilliant, brilliant. And um, what's next for you? What's coming up? We got the. We heard about the motor show. We heard about the the, the awesome sound wave. Uh, anything else coming up that uh, that people should know about who are listening? Well, at, well, at the moment, as you know, I've been doing a lot of uh, live streaming, and yes. um, and I and I didn't really want to 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 not do the live streaming because I like being with people, as you can imagine, yeah, yeah, and not yeah. being able to do that anyway is really difficult. But I still love. The, the, having the ability to share the love of music. So, yeah. you know, me being on on the platform of Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, Mixcloud, and YouTube as well, all these platforms are great. So they're all kind of dipping the toe in the water with me uh, based on the way I'm, I'm able to draw people into my shows. It's really hit a nerve. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like, well, we can't see Coxie live, so I will tune into Cabin Fever. Yeah. I will tune into Mystery Lands. I will tune into... Um, uh, exit festival and all this kind of thing, yeah. and and I try not to give too much away. You know, hour show maybe if I'm feeling good, two hours. But what's really special is my cabin fever shows, and the reason why it's so special because every 
single show that I will be doing on Cabin Fever is all coming from my vinyl collection. Yeah. And my vinyl collection is, is a collection of music that I've been collecting from 1968 all the way up until around about 2009, where I stopped collecting music on vinyl because it changed from that point on to digital format. So there's a lot of music in there, man. It's like hip hop, house music, yeah. um, rhythm and blues, the Latin jazz, hard techno, gabba, industrial techno, uh, drum and bass, of course, happy hardcore rave. There's so much in there. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And Cabin Fever gives me the great opportunity to go through my record collection and share that sound with, with you. Now, now if people didn't know I played hip hop. They didn't know I played swing beat. They didn't know I played rare groove or funk. They didn't know I played jazz funk or brick funk in any way shape or form people don't even know that that stuff even exists yeah northern soul nice. um and uh, acid jazz i mean i have it all and um, and because that's what i played yeah I played it all so cami fever is really dear to me uh it's quite funny because people are like yeah play techno <laughs> yes i do play techno and i do play techno on different platforms but cami fever is an extension of my history of my music yeah. and i have to share it so even if you don't understand it you know and you can quite easily switch over and find someone else. But I have to do this. I have to sit there sometimes like a radio jock and just play the records like the radio jock used to do, yeah. like how I used to listen to music when it was Radio Jackie, when it was uh, early days of Kiss FM, when it was a pirate radio station, and all this sort of stuff is how I got exposed to music. So stop watching me jumping up and down, going mad, mixing music in. This one record, you know, by Rick James called You and I, which goes on for nine minutes is incredible. Yeah. And you're going to hear it from beginning to end is the reason why it's made in that way. So when I produce that show to people, when I hear it, a, the people don't realize that I can talk. <laughs> they didn't realize that they had the, the knowledge of this music. It's an experience for people. They've never seen it before. Yeah. So this is really great to, to be able to do this on these platforms. But until <laughs> Facebook has announced that, all live streaming will be banned oh, yeah. from October the 1st and anyone live streaming playing unsolicited music or blah, 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 will be banned from Facebook. I'm like, okay, I'm going to Mixcloud. <laughs> and the reason why I'm going to, <laughs> and the reason why I'm going to Mixcloud because they actually pay yeah. for the music that you're playing. Yeah, yeah, they, yeah. The music goes back to the artist. Yes. Yes. I'm all, I'm all up for that because at the moment, you know, no music is going back to the artist whatsoever because it's not yeah, being yeah. registered. So that's one of the reasons why, you know, it, it's a difficult platform to be on because everyone's jumping on it at the moment because they're not playing out. But can you imagine yeah. all the music that's not getting registered? That's going, nothing's going back to the artist is incredible. Yeah. So I, I still want to outside of this pandemic, if you know, I will be going back to playing live as course yeah. um, at some point, not as much as I used to, because I think that I want to move on from that a little bit now, yeah. but, um, but also to carry on the, the, the ideal of the streaming shows because this the, the music can reach out to someone that's in Peru or Japan or in Mexico or in, in Sweden. It doesn't really matter. It's uh, if you're into what I'm doing and then you, you can find out where I am through live streaming and get the full benefit of what I can still produce. Fantastic. I've been enjoying those cabin fever sessions so much over the lockdown. It's, it's been an education. It's been memories. It's uh, it's, and it's always, it's always a surprise. It's always a delight, you know, it's, that energy <laughs> comes across every time. So I've got one more question for you. Uh, every episode, we invite our legendary guests to add a track to the Audio Talks playlist on Tidal. So Carl Cox, 
What is your nomination to join our musical time machine and why have you chosen it? Yeah, I mean, it's very difficult. Can you imagine that of all the records that, uh, <laughs> that I have, you know, and, and I'm an old school guy, you know, I mean, I'd, yeah. I just love, you know, music that, um, that you hear that makes you feel good. And, uh, yeah. and I, I think if you can find Stevie Wonder from the album Songs of the Key of Life, a track called Another Star. Oh, wow. I think if you get to play that record now, it's really poignant based on what's going on around us. And, and Stevie's just amazing anyway, for such a prolific artist that, I mean, respectively, um, when you get to hear this record, you, you know the reason why I've chosen it. Absolutely. That's a beautiful choice, man. Thank you. And um, every episode, I also chuck in a, a track on the playlist. So my own selection this episode is Catch the Spirit by Anfisa Letiago, yep. uh, which is a thundering slice of late night techno released by Intech Digital and played by your good self, the label boss, Fantastic. Uh, many times, including your epic set at Tomorrowland in Belgium last year. So that that just record does it for me. Fantastic. You know what? I'm, I'm trying to be as, as, as positive as possible uh, based on what's going on here. I like to think that we can all get back on the dance floor. I'd be for get back to where it was and everything. And I'm sure that at some point it will get to that. Yeah. But you know what? As, a, as an individual that uh, is also, you know, going through the same, you know, uh, pains and, and, uh, and, and, the, and the highs and lows of, of, of living, I think music is the, is the very thing that basically keeps us all together. And as long as I can keep playing the music, that's probably the, the very best place that I think I can be at at this particular moment in time. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on the Audio Talks podcast, Carl Cox. We will be linking to Carl Cox Mix's awesome sound wave and also the Cabin Fever sessions in the show notes. Do make sure to check it all out, especially during your next drive. So join me again in two weeks for another great discussion with some more legends of audio. And don't forget to subscribe and tell all your friends about the Audio Talks podcast presented to you by Harmon. See you next time.